I'm quitting and going home. It's like, oh, really? What kind of cancer do you have? Howdy. You're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zulkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. And one time, a sports sensation who put competitive cycling on the map in American culture, Lance Armstrong would eventually be known as the man who perpetrated one of the biggest doping scandals in athletic history. For better or worse, it was the sad end to the story of Texas' greatest cyclist. But first, what's your favorite blank capital of the world, located, of course, in Texas? Well... I'm going to just go with one that is very timely uh, since we are in a leap year, and I'm going to say Anthony, Texas, which is the leap year capital of the world and home to the worldwide leap year birthday club. Um, <laughs> obviously, this was a uh, local chamber of commerce type thing. They were like, let's put our town on the map, and they had themselves officially declared the leap year capital of the world by Governor Bill Clements. Okay, well... Never heard of that one, but I'm going to tell you of one I have heard of. I actually lived near there, uh, the town of Electra in North Texas, just west of Wichita Falls, is the Pump Jack capital of Texas. And right. this was, yeah, this was made official by the state in 2001, and since 2002, they have celebrated an annual Pump Jack festival. And to those of you who don't know what a Pump Jack is, it is a basically a big contraption that pumps oil and natural gas out of the ground after you've drilled the oil well uh, you put a pump jack in there and uh, there are they're all over the place up there and out in west texas so there you go good on you electra <laughs> pump jacks pump jacks uh you know it's so hard because there's so many great everything's in texas like i mean i almost can't pick my favorite children because we have the best of everything in the whole world here uh yeah i i went i thought maybe elgin because they're you know make some they claim to be some of the best sausage in the world or fredericksburg has the best polka plato has the uh the they're the hot air balloon capital but uh i think at the end of the day i'm going to tip the cap to my uncle cecil from a couple of weeks ago and to highlight his hometown of Kennedy, Texas, the horn lizard capital of the world. <laughs> of course. They spit blood. <laughs> out of their eyes. Yeah, out of their they eyes. Spit blood out of their eyeballs. <laughs> That's uh, just one of the many tricks that makes yeah. them the you know, freakiest. Somebody thing. test that blood. <laughs> you know, I think we need to just have a full episode on the blank capitals of Texas because in the world because there's a lot of them. I think we do and, 10 episodes on that. Yeah, but I think it's just a nice episode talking about the different stories behind them. I, I, I want to talk about Hereford, the town without a toothache, because they they have such a high fluoride level in their water that people just don't get cavities. Lance Edward Gunderson was born on September 18, 1971, in Plano, Texas. He was given the name Armstrong in 1974 when he was adopted by his stepfather. Lance Armstrong's sports career started relatively late. It wasn't until the age of 12 that he began swimming at the City of Plano Swim Club. He was an immediate success, however, finishing fourth in the Texas State 1500-meter freestyle the same year. He gave up swimming by itself, though, 
after seeing a poster advertising the Iron Kids Triathlon. He won in his first year of participating when he was only 13 years old. In the 1987-88 TriFed Texas Triathlon Race, Armstrong was ranked as the number one triathlete in the 19 and under group. He was such a challenged he was such a talented triathlete that in 1987, his points as an amateur were better than those of five of the professionals ranked higher than him. He became a professional triathlete when he turned 16 and became the national sprint course champion when he was 18 and 19. In 1992, Lance gave up the other two parts of the triathlon and focused exclusively on cycling and went pro joining the Motorola cycling team. The very next year, he won 10 one-day events and stage races. He had a breakthrough victory at the World Race Championship in Norway. His first win at the most famous cycling race in the world, the Tour de France, occurred earlier, but it was only for the stage from Chalons-sur-Marne to Verdun. It would be years before he came to dominate that event. Armstrong had a great deal of success in the United States, collecting the Thrift Drug Triple Crown of Cycling the Thrift Drug Classic in Pittsburgh, the Kmart West Virginia Classic, and the Core States U.S. Pro National Championship in Philadelphia. In 1994, he won the Thrift Drug Classic again and placed second in the Tour DuPont in the United States. He also began to rack up more successes in European cycling. He placed second in both the liege bastogne liege and the Classica de San Sebastian. Only two years before, he came in dead last at the Classica de San Sebastian, his first all-pro event in Europe. In 1995, he went from last place to first place in the course of only three years. That same year, he also won the Tour de Pont, as well as several stage victories in Europe, which included a stage of the Tour de France. This victory came only three days after tragedy struck the team when his teammate Fabio Castorelli crashed and died on the descent of the Col de Port Aspet part of the 15th stage of the Tour de France. Armstrong's successes continued in 1996 when he became the first American to win La Flèche Wallonne and won the Tour de Pont in America yet again. Armstrong also competed in the 96 Olympics, finishing 6th in the time trial and 12th in the road race. Following the Leeds Classic in England, Lance signed a two-year, $2 million deal with the French Cofidi cycling team. Only two months later, while he was still only 25, Armstrong was diagnosed with stage 3 testicular cancer. By the time he was diagnosed, the cancer had already spread to his brain, lungs, and abdomen. On his first visit to his urologist, he was coughing up blood and had a swollen testicle. The next day, he had surgery to remove the diseased organ. In a later interview, the urologist, Dr. Jim Reeves, stated that he thought his patient's chances at the time were almost none. Armstrong then received a letter from Dr. Stephen Wolfe, an oncologist at Vanderbilt University. After consulting with Dr. Wolfe, he went to Indiana University Medical Center in Indianapolis to complete his treatments. Armstrong quickly found himself faced with a hard choice. One of the side effects of the standard chemo treatment for his type of cancer was lung toxicity, and after taking the first cycle, he switched to an alternative. This alternative medication saved his cycling career as he would never have been able to compete with the lung damage that would have come from the standard treatment. On October 25th, less than a month after receiving his diagnosis, Armstrong underwent neurosurgery to remove the lesions in his brain. Biopsies of these lesions found that they contained extensive necrosis. 
Armstrong received his last cycle of chemotherapy on December 13, 1996, and was declared cancer-free in February 1997. Inspired by his battle with the disease, he established the Lance Armstrong Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to supporting people with cancer. The foundation went on to become famous as the Live Strong Foundation, which was based on a motto he created in 2003, and the famous yellow wristbands that he wore, which became synonymous with the group. Shortly after being declared cancer-free, Armstrong's contract with the Cofidi team was canceled. A former employer offered him a contract with the U.S. Postal Team with a salary of $200,000 a year, a fraction of what he was used to making. By January of 1998, Armstrong was already training heavily and moved to Europe to be with his new team. Armstrong's triumphant return to racing began in 98 when he finished fourth in the Volta a España. 1999 was an even bigger year and he won the Tour de France a feat that he had not been able to accomplish before the cancer. This victory included winning four of the stages along the way, and he beat the second-place rider by 7 minutes and 37 seconds. However, two of the best competitors in the sport were unable to compete that year, so he still felt like he had something to prove. In 2000, both of those other competitors returned to challenge Armstrong's success. A six-year rivalry between Jan Ulrich and Lance Armstrong began at one of the races that year, with Armstrong coming out victorious by 6 minutes and 20 seconds. He took only one stage in the 2000 Tour de France, but was back on top in 2001 when he beat out Uric by 6 minutes 44 seconds. In 2002, Uric was suspended and Armstrong won by 7 minutes over his next closest competitor. In 2003, Armstrong and Uric resumed their pattern, taking first and second place, respectively. By the end of the three-week-long race, they were separated by only one minute and one second. Only Ulrich's sense of fair play made the race so close. On the final ascent of the race, a spectator's bag caught Armstrong's right handlebar and knocked him off his bike. Ulrich waited for him instead of taking advantage of his rival's bad luck. Though it lost him the race, it won him fair play honors. In 2004, Armstrong's domination of the Tour de France continued, and he won by over six minutes over his next closest competitor. Armstrong was beginning to be known and oh, Armstrong was starting to Armstrong became known as a mountain specialist and was the first rider since 1948 to win three consecutive mountain stages. In fact, on stage 16, going up Alpe de Huy, he passed one competitor who'd left ahead of him despite the fact that the other man had a 2-minute lead. 2005 was le- 2005 was Armstrong's best tour to date. He held off several strong competitors during the mountain stages, and this became his seventh consecutive victory of the Tour, setting a record, a record-setting accomplishment. He also set a time record, achieving the highest pace in the race's history. His average speed of the whole Tour was 26 miles an hour. Operating under the principle of going out on top, Armstrong operating, Deciding to go out on top, Armstrong announced he was going to retire from cycling on July 24, 2005. Only three years later, Armstrong announced that he was coming out of retirement with the express goal of participating in the 2009 Tour de France. Money was clearly not a motivating factor as it was reported that Armstrong would race for no salary or bonuses. In September, it was reported that he would compete in the Tour down under in January of 2009. 
Normally, this would not be possible as the governing body for the race requires a cyclist to be in an anti-doping program for at least six months before an event. This requirement was waived for Armstrong for this particular event due to the short time frame. Potential disaster struck at the Vuelta de Castilla y León race when Armstrong was involved in a rider pileup during the first stage. He broke his collarbone in the accident and flew back to Austin for corrective surgery. The surgery was successful, and within four days, Armstrong was back on a bicycle and training. Unfortunately, despite the years of remarkable success, 2009 would be the beginning of the end for Lance Armstrong. In April, the French anti-doping agency, AFLD, investigated an encounter between Armstrong and one of their officials after one of Lance's training rides. When the officials arrived, Armstrong asked for and claims he was granted permission to take a shower while his team manager checked the officials' credentials. Armstrong was eventually cleared of any wrongdoing and raced at the Tour of the Gila, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and raced at the Tour of the Gila in New Mexico on April 29th, but it would not be the end of scrutiny for Armstrong. Returning to the Tour de France that July, he ended up in third place, five minutes and 24 seconds behind the overall winner, his teammate, Alberto Contador. Before the end of the month, Armstrong announced he would race again in 2010. Radio Shack took over the main sponsorship duties for his team. He made his season debut at the Tour Down Under, but finished 25th out of 127 riders who competed. He replaced 7th in his first European race of the season, the 2010, the 2010 Vuelta al Murcia. Armstrong was forced to withdraw from three of the four of his next re. Armstrong was forced to withdraw from three of the four of his next races due to bouts with gastroenteritis. In mid-April, Armstrong returned to America to participate in the Tour of Gila and May's Tour of California, both as preparations for the Tour de France. He, <clears throat> he crashed outside Visalia earlier... <laughs> he crashed outside Visalia early in Stage 5 of the Tour of California and had to withdraw from the race. He recovered well and placed second in the Tour of Switzerland and third in the Tour of Luxembourg. Yeah, on June 28th, Armstrong announced via Twitter that 2010 would be his final Tour de France. He performed impressively in the prologue time trial and finished third, but he suffered a number of crashes that put him out of general contention. His final tour was a bit disappointing as he finished in 23rd place, more than 39 minutes behind the winner. However, Armstrong was key in helping Team Radio Shack win the co team competition. He announced the end of his international career after the Tour Down Under and his retirement from competitive cycling for good on February 16, 2011, all the while facing U.S. federal investigation. Armstrong had, faced, Armstrong had long faced allegations of doping, going back all the way to 1999. He'd been rather famous for his heated disagreements with outspoken opponents of doping like Paul Kimmage and Christophe Basson. Basson, a writer of the tour himself, wrote a number of articles for a French newspaper during the 99 Tour de France about the doping going on in the Pelotion, which is a fancy, which is a fancy French word for riders in a bike race. This led to an altercation between Armstrong and Basson during the 1999 Tour de France when Armstrong rode up alongside Basson on the Alpe de Huy stage. Basson claimed Armstrong said, quote, it was a mistake to speak out the way I do, and he, Armstrong, asked why I was doing it. I told him that I'm thinking of the next generation of writers. Then he said, why don't you leave then? 
Armstrong later confirmed that this event truly happened. On the evening news of a national French television station, Armstrong gave an explanation, saying of Basson, quote, His accusations aren't good for cycling, for his team, for me, for anybody. If he thinks cycling works like that, he's wrong and would be better off going home. Kimmage, whose professional cycling career happened in the 80s, well before Armstrong came on the scene, referred to Lance as, quote, cancer in cycling, a statement in pretty poor taste given, of course, Armstrong's cancer. Kimmage was aggressive in his questioning of Armstrong during a press conference at the Tour of California in 2009, asking about his, quote, admiration for dopers. Armstrong answered with understandable anger, starting a rivalry that was exemplified by Kimmage's articles in the Sunday Times. Another reporter for the Sunday Times, David Walsh, was also a notable critic of Armstrong. Armstrong's ire for this man was strong enough that he referred to him as, quote, a little troll. Armstrong revealed in a 2001 article, or Walsh revealed in a 2001 article that Armstrong had ties to controversial Italian doctor Michel Ferrari, a man who eventually would be issued a lifetime sports ban by the United States Anti-Doping Agency for his violations. Two years later, Walsh published a book called L.A. Confidential, which was based on, co- which was based on testimony by Armstrong's former masseuse, Emma O'Reilly. In that testimony, she claimed she made clandestine trips to pick up and deliver doping products to Armstrong and his team, and she was asked to dispose of used syringes. That's a little incriminating. A little bit. Until he finally admitted his history of doping, Armstrong was vehement in denying using illegal performance-enhancing drugs and described himself as the most tested athlete in the world. Armstrong went so far as to use his bout with cancer as reasoning why he would not dope. As he said in 2005, quote, If you consider my situation, a guy who comes back from arguably, you know, a death sentence, why would I then enter into a sport and dope myself up and risk my life again? That's crazy. I would never do that. No. No way. Still as far back as 1999, there was suspicion that Armstrong was doping when a urine sample showed traces of corticosteroids. Armstrong answered the accusations, presenting a medical certificate showing that he used an approved cream for saddle sores that contained the substance. It was claimed by M. O'Reilly that team officials conspired with a compliant doctor to falsify Armstrong's prescription and that Armstrong never had saddle sores. It was particularly hard to catch Armstrong, and from the fall of 2008 through March of 2009, he was given 24 unannounced tests by various anti-doping authorities, which all came back negative for performance-enhancing drugs. Between 2010 and 2012, U.S. federal prosecutors heavily pursued allegations of Armstrong's doping. This led to a grand jury being convened, which took statements under oath from Armstrong's former team and associates. They also met with officials from France, Belgium, Spain, and Italy, and they requested samples from France's anti-doping agency. Federal agent Jeff Nowitzki led the investigation. He was also the agent who had investigated previous claims of steroid abuse by Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. In 2012, a tell-all book was written by one of Armstrong's teammates, Tyler Hamilton. This book extensively documented the history and methods of doping by Armstrong, Hamilton, and the rest of the U.S. Postal Cycling Team when he was a member from 1999 to 2001. It also describes the investigation by Nowitzki and the Food and Drug Administration and described Hamilton's disbelief that it was eventually dropped. 
In 2013, Lance Armstrong came clean about his doping history. In an interview with Oprah Winfrey that aired on January 17th and 18th on the Oprah Winfrey Network, he confessed that he had used banned performance-enhancing drugs throughout much of his cycling career all the way up until 2005. He'd admitted that he'd used steroids and growth hormones and that he'd blood doped, which is a practice of having blood removed and the red blood cells drawn out weeks or months before the event and then added back to your bloodstream the day of competition. He also admitted to falsifying documents to say he passed drug tests and that doping helped him on each of his seven Tour de France wins. Samples from Armstrong in 2009 and 2010 were fully consistent with blood manipulation, including EPO use and or blood transfusions, according to the USADA. Beyond the ridicule and humiliation that came from his misdeeds and his confession, Armstrong was stripped of all of his wins and is fighting to avoid paying back millions of dollars in prize money. His Livestrong Foundation severed ties with them, but fortunately they've continued to earn millions of dollars a year in fundraising for cancer research. So at the very least, this part of his legacy has remained intact. It's a sad end for someone who should have gone down as one of Texas's greatest sports legends and inspirational figures. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. You know, it's funny um, to see like the links that people went to try and catch Lance Armstrong oh, yeah. misbehaving. But not yeah. just him. I mean, the fact that it's sort of come out that, well, yeah, he doped, he did all this stuff. But also... They all did it. Like every yeah. team, every major athlete, seems like there are, are dozens and dozens of people that came out and said, yeah, to be the very best, to get on a bike and to, to dedicate like these thousands of hours of just riding, yeah. you, have to, you have to go to these links to be able to perform at superhuman levels. Mm-hmm. Now, some people make the argument that, well, they're all doping, so therefore it should, he shouldn't have his title stripped away because everybody does it. But, you know, he, he, the big thing was is that he was so vehement about that I am not a doper. I have never used steroids. I've never done anything. Never, never, never. I will fight you if you say that I did. I had cancer. Uh, I think if he hadn't been so vehement about things that maybe they wouldn't have come down quite as hard on him or at least that he wouldn't look so ridiculous. Well, but you know, I I, rem- I remember people talking like, oh, well, they're only after him because he's an American, and the French don't like that American has an American has won seven Tour de France's, which yeah. is true. I mean, I w- yeah. yeah, I mean, I would even think that if he had actually retired the first time when he said he was going to retire, yeah, th- then none of this, you know, it would have probably would have been a lot longer, would have been much longer time before something like this happened. You know, I mean, it's yeah. I I don't really follow cycling that much, but um. It, it just seems to me that if he had retired when he initially said he would, that people would have just kind of let it go and it wouldn't have been as big a deal. But, you know, he kept digging his hole, kept, uh, you know, digging himself into that uh, that lifestyle and eventually it caught up to him. Well, I'm not going to throw a lot of, of shade on Mr. Armstrong. And I will, just because of his fabulous performance in uh, the movie Dodgeball cuz I think, <laughs> I think that's a <laughs> what kind of, when he's like I'm quitting and going home it's like oh really what kind of cancer do you have and he's <laughs> oh I think thanks Lance Armstrong um lo- <laughs> love that movie uh yeah he, but 
I wonder and I hope that over time some of this will fade in terms of, of reflecting on really what, like, you know, it doesn't take away the, the fact for me that him that's like, gosh, he really worked hard. Like, he went to extraordinary lengths, not only to win, I mean, just his basic training and the way he lived and sort of all that he did on that note. And then the kind of, all the spy craft that went around just to, to disguise this terrible secret that he and these other athletes were doing. You know, it, well, it's kind of yeah. it's sad and tragic, really. I think that the, the ultimate tragedy is that the, it takes away from the truly remarkable accomplishment and achievement that he had in, in beating cancer. Yeah, and the doping had nothing to do with that accomplishment. Um, he he did. He came from death's. He literally came from death's door. He was guaranteed to be dead, and he, you know, he went through. He had, you know, brain surgery. He had he had one of his nads taken out. You know, uh, and he came thr- through that and survived that, and then thrived. And and maybe the doping helped him get back to where he wanted to be in terms of the races. Uh, the cycling, but you know that he is walking around is still a remarkable achievement in in that how bad his cancer was, and and fortunately I, I'm glad that the Livestrong Foundation does still raise money and raises a lot of money and they've actually increased their uh, their fundraising and and their 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 the money that they receive and that they earn and that they uh, raise. So that's good that, but uh, you know, uh, everyone will always associate those armbands with Lance Armstrong. Oh, he's a cheater. He's a doper. And not necessarily anymore that he's a survivor. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you. So like, and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? You can find me on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's. And I'm Scotticus. Special thanks to our friend James Abendroff for helping us to research and write this episode. You can find him on Twitter at Blackguard Press. And you can find his fiction work at blackguardpress.com. Now, we know you love this show. We know that you love to tell your friends. So keep doing it. And then get on over to iTunes and leave a review because it really helps us out to find listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.